want to continue on in our study on the book of Revelation, uh, which is last days now. And we've looked first at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the one who is and who was and is to come. And the book of Revelation is primarily about revealing God and his heart of love and his plans for the future of the world and how he is adamantly opposed to what hurts his creation and those that he's created. And he is setting all things right because that is his very nature. He is holy, which means that there is only good about him and in his presence. We also then have been looking at the revival letters, uh, the last three sermons, because Revelation is not about the rise of evil. It's primarily about the rise of God's glorious church in Christ. Uh, And uh, God calls us to be renewed and revived. He also calls us into alignment where we have been out of alignment. He gives correction, and he also gives us clarity about the future and how we are to position ourselves, live into the days that are ahead. So today I want to start with um, towards the final generation and begin to sort of give you guys a way to uh, find your way through what happens from Revelation 5 on, which is the unfolding of the judgments of God leading to salvation. And you might say, as I did all week, this is sort of a cheery, romantic sermon for Valentine's Day, the unleashing of the the judgments of God. And I could have pretended to tuck in behind what Pastor Donna shared and said, well, Valentine's Day is about great sacrificial love and martyring ourselves, you know. But uh, it just so, so reminded me, uh, Janelle and I, when I was in seminary, I believe we took her mom to visit our church down in L.A., the Vineyard. The Vineyard, pretty non-traditional back then. And uh, the Mother's Day service was an overcoming same-sex attraction. It, it was like, we're, we're just not in sync, you know, as uh, on these holidays. I made a vow, which I just broke, that I would do better than that when I was a pastor, and here we are. The judgments of God on Valentine's Day. But in the end, it really is about the love of God. We meet at the culmination of the opening parts of Revelation, Jesus the Lion and the Lamb. And heaven is standing before the throne of the Holy One, and everything is in pain, and everything is wrong in the world. And they're saying, who is worthy to open up the seals that are going to begin God's process of making things right? And none was worthy, and all the millions of angelic beings, all the the stately um, angelic forces that live in the very presence of God, no one was worthy. And then it says, um, there, there appeared Jesus upon his resurrection from the dead. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So a lion appears, right? The risen Jesus Christ. But then it goes on and describes this lion. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. These are the two natures of Jesus. He is indeed the victorious Lion of Judah, conquering sin, death, and hell. But the way he does that is by being the Lamb of God, 
which breaks the power of sin and suffers on the behalf of the good of others to bring redemption to the world. Jesus is the lion and Jesus is the lamb. I'm so thankful that I met the, the lamb of God in the midst of my sin. Amen. And I'm so thankful that I live in the lion of God as I have authority and hope and power in the future. But at the same time, God showed his mighty power, the power of love, by suffering and dying on the cross. And the way that the lion conquers is by continuing to walk the pathway of the lamb. And as God's people, we must be prepared to walk both as the lion and the lamb in our times. Because if we are not aware of this and think that it's only lion life, we will not know how to negotiate the times ahead. You know, I sometimes ask myself, has the American church failed to read the memo? Philippians 3.10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, being like him in his death. We like the first part, right? Resurrection power, victorious life, overcoming, blessed, prosperous, confident, amen. All of that. As long as your heart lives in sacrificial love towards others. And that's how you view your future. Did we not read the memo all the way through? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Amen. Joint heirs with Jesus. And that is absolutely true. But we better read the rest of the memo if we're going to know how to live. Read the stuff in italics, because you'd rather avoid it. But, but okay, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Peter says this to the first church. Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be caught unaware. Don't think that it's odd or say, what in the world has gone wrong? Did, did Jesus fall off his throne? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange has happened to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Do we want a revelation of the glory of God? I do. Do we want a revival of the manifested Shekinah presence of God in the lives of um, his people and the life of our gathering? I do. But we better read the whole promise. Otherwise, we will be caught by surprise and our faith will be rocked because we somehow have bought a false doctrine that Christians ought never to have a difficult time with anything in life. Not knowing that those trials 
we, they intercept our life to actually bring us into that promise of the glory of God. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Come on now. So how can we negotiate this? The Revelation, this book that we're studying, prepares us to follow the one who is lamb and lion. To know how to live in that authority that he gives us to overcome. And at the same time, realizing that the posture of the overcoming heart is to walk in the sacrificial love of Jesus and to maintain faith in difficult times. A gospel that does not recognize both the lion and the lamb will be insufficient in the days that are ahead. So do you want the fairy tale or you want the truth? Didn't mean to be quite so blunt when I said that, but I sort of do mean it. Do we want a gospel of our own making? Or do we want the gospel of Jesus Christ, the lamb and the lion? And so if you uh, want to uh, look at uh, your uh, paper there, uh, you'll see this diagram there. And this is how I view the process of history towards the end of times. It all begins with the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's when the big staircase begins as we move upward towards the final generation and the return of Christ. And when he died, he set in motion the redemptive change of all of the world. And his followers then are in this, in this second phase here. From the resurrection up to the final generation, it's the long climb of the church. And the reason that it's a spiral staircase is because there are, in my estimation, scrolls being read, trumpets being sounded, bowls being poured out all the time in different ways. And that's why as we go up the spiral staircase, we see things and we say, well, that was sort of like that before. And oh, oh, this reminds me of something that happened earlier in history. It's because we are walking our way through partial experiences of what that final generation will experience. And so there don't tell African American slaves worshiping in the woods outside the plantation that great tribulation had not come yet. Don't don't tell the underground church in China that is meeting with threat of death that tribulation has not come upon them. We, we live in a very white picketed fence world if we think that these other Christians, the Yazidi in, in Iraq, are not experiencing literally the book of Revelation and getting comfort from it. But it spirals and it's moving us towards the end of history, but we see things again and again as history moves forward. But we're making progress to that final day. Then in that final generation, uh, which uh, Jesus talked about, I believe the book of Revelation talks about, Paul talks about, there will be a summation and intensification of all these different aspects that we read in the book of Revelation. And that final generation will actually give birth as a victorious church to the return of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, after that begins this interesting transition for, quote, a thousand years in which it's sort of like the resurrection, resurrected Jesus among his disciples because there will be Christians in resurrected bodies ruling and reigning over a planet of regular human beings in this period. Then will come the great final binding of Satan, the judgment, reward, and then eternity forever will, will go on and we will forever be with the Lord. So this is how I believe this unfolds. And I want to focus primarily on the, the second phase, which is the, the, the movement of the church towards that final generation. God's people will follow Jesus, the lamb and the lion, through the sounding trumpets, unfurled scrolls, and bowls poured out of economic uh, distress, of food shortage, of environmental disasters, of wars, persecution, and martyrdom. And like him, our job during this time is to release good news in the darkest times. All that will happen in full effect in that final generation, that, uh, quote, seven-year period at the end, occurs in partial effect in various times and places during this period of the ascent of the church. Glory and suffering, the suffering that's uh, described in the scrolls and the trumpets and bowls, will intensify with some starts and stops until that final generation gives birth to the coming of the Lord. And so if we jump into Revelation chapter 6, we see the opening of the seven seals. The first is conquest. Many think that represents uh, the spread of false religions in the world, and that the white horse rider. Then there is conflict, the red horse, economic disaster, the black horse, death, a quarter of the human beings die, that's the pale horse. There's persecution and martyrdom of believers, there's cosmic disruptions that are happening like on the level of the galaxy, but it ends with worshiping of God and the Lamb. Then if we move to the, the trumpets, which are sounded in Revelation 8 to 11, we see an unfolding of a series of seven trumpets, economic disaster, environmental disaster, the destruction of the sea, the destruction of rivers, cosmic disruptions again, tormenting locusts, uh, destruction of one-third of mankind by conflict and plague, but it ends with the worship of the Most High God. Then we go into, in Revelation 16, there are seven bowls that are poured out, and there are disease and open wounds, things that can't heal anymore on the human body. We, we're experiencing some of that in our medical community now, is that people are catching infections that they cannot heal from. There is destruction of the sea, destruction of rivers. All the, 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 the salt water and the fresh water is impacted. Heat and fire, darkness, just like the plagues of Egypt. The battle of Armageddon, which is a war against Israel. And then finally, it is done. Just like Jesus on the cross declared, it is finished. Then at this point, the work of history is done. And it's now time for the revelation of the salvation of God. These, I don't know if you can hear the repetition between some of the scrolls and some of the trumpets and some of, of the bowls. That's why I don't think that they fall in a straight line like we get all the scrolls 
then we got all the trumpets, then we got all the bowls. I think that these are talking in different ways about similar types of events that, the, that uh, God is guiding people through. Uh, and um, um, are we ready for that? So I want to take a few moments and actually focus on one theme that occurs about economic pressure, economic disaster. In the opening of the third seal in Revelation chapter 6, this is what um, it says. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wage, and three quarts of barley for a day's wage, and do not damage the oil and the wine. What does this mean? It means that there's coming periods, and an intense period at the very end, in which inflation will run absolutely wild. Because grain is measured on a scale, not by baskets. Every kernel is going to count at that point. And a quart of wheat for a day's wage and three quarts of barley for a day's wage, that's 8 to 16 times inflation off of the normal cost of that day. If you want to bring that home to us, 8 times inflation would mean that a couple bags of groceries that cost us $118.51 today would suddenly cost $948.08. And if it's on the high side of the estimate, 16 times hyperinflation, milk that sells for $3.20, you're going to be paying $51.20 for. White bread, $2.50 today. $40 a loaf for that Wonder Bread, and that's before peanut butter and jelly goes on it. Eggs, $2.30 today, be $36.80. You better raise those chickens in the city limit starting now. (laughs) 1.5 liters of water, $1.80. This is not the Costco price. This is a normal price. But to buy 1.5 liters of water in that time of economic distress would be $28.80. Makes sense, right, if all the rivers are polluted. And so this time, one of the things that believers have to negotiate is economic uncertainty. Because you know what it really asks us? Where's our trust? Is it in God, our provider? Or are we just like the rest of the world, depending on the money our hands can generate to buy things that we need? And it's easy to talk about living by faith until you get an unexpected bill, have a job layoff. But God calls us to live by faith. And so when there are things that totally wreck our lives as Americans, like not freely accessing toilet paper, May your heart not turn away from God. May you say, Lord, teach me how to live dependent on you. Amen? Are you hearing this? 
another element of the economic distress that we see um, in uh, Revelation 13. Again, a, a repetition with more, with more detail of this type of economic pressure. It says here, the second beast also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Lots of different teachings on the mark of the beast. It's been projected that it was many different things. When we actually had credit cards that were made out of plastic, people really thought, you know, that was there. When, when those credit cards got chips on them, man, there was a lot of concern, you know, about the mark of the beast. Now that it's all off of our phones, maybe there should be additional concern. But the, there is economic pressure and family of God. It is not nearly as far away as we may are we ready? Are we following both the lion and the lamb so we can give witness in difficult economic times? I heard a, a, a well-known writer, uh, Rob Dreyer. Uh, he writes for the New York Times, LA Times, published a number of different books. Uh, he, his book is uh, Live Not By Lies. And uh, I was in Nashville at a conference in October, and I was actually sitting like in sp at the foot of the front row here uh, in this video I'm about to show, you might be able to see the back of a gray head. Uh, not sure if it made the edit. But he was describing things which suddenly made everything we read in the book of Revelation move just so close to me to say we're not just talking about way in the future. The potential for these things is actually upon us. We are moving towards what... I call an American social credit system. In China, they have perfected this thing. In China, every single Chinese citizen has a social credit rating. Uh, the government uses all the data it collects from smartphones, from uh, credit card purchases, and from laptop use to form a profile of each Chinese citizen. And the algorithms get into it and figure out what kind of people they are. If you have a high social credit rating, like if you download the speeches of Xi Jinping, uh, or you only hang out with respectable people, you get a high rating, you get all these privileges. You can go to the best restaurants, you can travel, your kids can get into the best colleges. But if you have a low social credit rating, if your smartphone has tracked you going into a church or hanging out with deplorable people like Christians, then you get a lower rating and you can, if it gets low enough, be kicked entirely out of the economy. Now here's the thing, that's China. They're a totalitarian society. We have in the U.S. right now the technology to do this. All the data that, our, that big corporations are gathering about all of us every day, even as you and I sit here with my smartphone on, they're figuring this out. If they decide to weaponize that against us, the only thing that will stand in their way is legislation. But right now, I'm not hearing any Christians or anybody else talking about standing up for protecting access, not only access to the economy, but access just to free speech for the sake of preserving liberal values. 
Another aspect of it too, Gabe, is the fact that we're going cashless. Mm -hmm. In my city, Baton Rouge, um, most stores that I go to, uh, you, they prefer that you use uh, a debit card to avoid the cash. Well, once we get into the habit of not using cash, this really helps the social credit system uh, because in China, if all, almost all the transactions now are done by with your smartphone, if the government wants to cut you out of the economy completely, all it has to do is basically push a button. Yeah. And then how are you going to participate at all if you can't even make petty cash? If there's no cash at all, you're done. Yeah, it, and in China, I mean, it's, it's almost worse than that for anybody who's visited there. I know we were over there when we were adopting our daughter back 18 months ago. And, you know, you had to use the smartphone to access toilet paper at a restroom. So if you weren't in the system and you weren't using the system and, and you didn't check in that you were in the restroom, you would go to the restroom and not have toilet paper. Right. That's how deep the web goes yeah, on tracing and information and your app and whether you're you're falling within the, the, the realm where you're approved. But look, this is real. I mean, it's really happening. I can remember as a kid in the 70s, the late great planet Earth was a big thing. Hal Lindsey and the 90s version was left behind. And I can remember there was a lot of anxiety in Christian circles about the mark of the beast, not being able to buy or sell. And I remember thinking, how would that ever happen? Well, now we know. Because it can happen. It is happening in China. If you're not part of the system, you can't even get toilet paper. Yeah. Um, we need to, you know, I, I try not to be an alarmist, but what more do you need to know about the capabilities of those in power? Yeah, and some would say, I think even in your mention of going cashless, you know, this year we've seen coins are out of circulation, don't use cash as much. I think coronavirus was one of the reasons to not use cash, but now we see there's not going to be more printing of cash. You can quickly see how quickly this digital currency is going to be upon us. There has been stories, these aren't conspiracies, these are factual stories where people have been deplatformed from payment processing. Exactly. Right? Where they're, they're not able to run their business. They're not able to use PayPal. They're not able to use payment processing, which may to some feel like, well, just move to another platform. But those are that's what you're warning about, right? That yeah. this is possible. Yeah, it's not only possible, but it, it's going to happen. It is happening. This is a well-learned, well-respected, not only by Christians, but about by other social scientists, a well-known author, speaking about things that already are. And it's a bit stunning, right? Because any of you aware of being deplatformed from certain social media access because your social credit rating fell down because of certain perspectives you might have held? Have we recently heard about certain payment systems not being able to be accessed by people who held a particular point of view politically or religiously? And I'm not saying the Antichrist is upon us. I'm just saying Book of Revelations is true. <laughs> and whether this is one of the birth pangs that is leading us towards that, or this is entering into a final phase, I'm not here to tell you that. I'm also not here to say just, a lot of you are already pulling apps off your phone right now, but you know, it's too late. Siri's already heard you. Uh, you're gonna have right-wing conspiracy theory pop up on your social media now automatically because they, you know, they're, they're just here right now. <laughs> yeah. 
you may want to take some practical steps. But for what is coming upon the globe, you can't put enough chariots down in a bunker to make it through in the natural. The just are going to live by faith. And God is going to provide for us and our families because we are aligned to the lamb and the lion. Amen? So if this shakes you up a little bit, just ask yourself, what does that find in me about the fear of man? The fear of man dwells where faith in God does not reign. The fear of man, what man can do, what can happen through the power of human beings. The fear of man dwells where faith in God does not reign. Faith is the victory, brothers and sisters. It's always been the only victory. It's always been the only security in life. It's always been the only provision for us as believers. And it is our hope. Revelation doesn't only talk about things to overcome. It talks about the rising class of overcomers in the body of Christ. And to the one who overcomes, these promises are given to the seven churches. You get the tree of life. You get the crown of life. You receive hidden manna, a white stone, a brand new name of intimacy with God that only he and you are aware of. You get authority over the nations. You have eternal life. You have a citizenship in heavenly Jerusalem, and you sit enthroned with Jesus to those who overcome. Here is what I believe Revelation is preparing our heart for, is that if our identity was that we were born to enjoy peace and not that we were born for battle, we have not fully come into the identity of the lamb and the lion of the tribe of Judah. Life is a conflict. And in the midst of that, there is amazing peace from God. There's unexpected blessing. There's great provision. But it is always that we are advancing the kingdom of God against the one who hates the souls of human beings and is the antichrist to the true Christ. And this is our identity, family of God. And if we have this identity that we were designed to overcome, we will not think it strange when there are obstacles or pressures or unusual circumstances that are difficult in our lives as individuals or in our life together as a body of Christ. We will not be intimidated, but we will continue to follow the one who is the lion and the one who is the lamb. I want to go back and just um, uh, clarify uh, a point here. Is that the wrath of God, God's judgment, for those who believe in him, the wrath of God was fully satisfied on the cross of Jesus Christ. Believers are not the recipient of the wrath of God or the judgment of God in the end times because we're in Christ. And so none of this is designed really 
to somehow be directed towards our shortcomings or our sins. We are at peace with God. And before the coming of the final judge, all displays of the wrath of God or the judgment of God in the book of Revelation are designed to draw people, invite people to repentance and to come into the saving knowledge of Jesus. That's its purpose. He's not a mean God trying to do mean things to people that has been naughty. He's using a display of what human beings apart from God, the type of world that we create as a way of humbling our hearts and our arrogance to say, I need a savior and I can't save myself. That is his purpose in all of these difficult times is to turn the heart of every human being to the opportunity to receive the gospel. But as believers, just like the Lord when he walked in the earth, we live in the midst of these times of the sounding of trumpets and the the breaking of uh, the, the seals that uh, release scrolls to be read or the pouring out of bowls. We live in the midst of this in order that we can give witness of the truth of the gospel to those in our society. This is God's purpose. This is God's design. So you may want to say, Pastor David, I don't like what you're saying. Just, you know, forget this little chart you handed out. All I do is I urge you to read your Bible. And not only the first half of the sentence that you like. And there's lots of different views on how this might unfold. Uh, if I'm wrong about the rapture, I always tell my friends who are, are premillennial raptures, just take me with you if I'm wrong. You know, I want to go when he comes back. I'll get my theology right on the way, you know, on the way to heaven. But this is, as someone who's, who's pondered this, this is my best reading, and I offer it to you for you to make your own way through how you view the end of times. But this I do know we all believe is love and grace makes us conquerors. Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swords or scrolls or trumpets or bowls or beasts or false prophets? His answer to that, read this with me. No. One more time. No. One more time. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, any trumpet, any scroll, any bowl poured out will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the gospel. Is a love which found us in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our fists being up towards God, 
in the midst of our self-destructive behavior, in the midst of our selfishness, which was hurting and destroying other people's lives, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our dark thinking, that love reached us. And that same love will sustain us as we stay connected to the love of God. And the more we are connected to the love of God, we'll come to realize the truth of the scripture, there is no fear in love because perfect love expels fear from our life. So I can look at the reality of what is happening in our world and my heart, because I know the love of God, can say, no. I'm not taking that deep into my spirit. I'm not buying the fear of the atmosphere. I'm not responding in panic to the latest news or the latest interpretation. I know that no matter what my season of history is going to walk the church through, we're going to be more than conquerors in this time because we're going to keep ourselves connected to the love of God. Amen? Amen. If you don't know Jesus this morning, what I've shared ought to make you wonder. And in that wonder and in that concern, I, I pray that you truly feel the greater message of the love of God expressed to you. And if you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've never accepted the free gift of his death and the life he offers in his resurrection, may you do so this morning. All we need to do to receive that free gift of grace is to take responsibility. We admit that things that we have done to hurt ourselves and hurt others, we admit that we did those things. We take responsibility for that. Then we believe, we place our faith and our hope and our trust in, in a God who did not walk away from us in our brokenness, but instead walked right into our world to build a bridge through the cross of Jesus Christ so that we could be with him again. And then we commit. We say, I'm not only following you in this moment because I'm scared about what Pastor David just taught, but you say, you're my Lord and Savior for the rest of my life. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life because I plan to follow you all the way through eternity. And then you declare, you let people know. And one of the reasons, ways that we do that, that Jesus told us to, is that we are celebrated as we're baptized in water and our church family around us celebrates. If you've been invited by a friend to watch this podcast, if you've been invited uh, by, uh, as a guest to come here, uh, and you want to make this connection with Jesus, I, I'd just encourage you, simply reach out to the person who invited you here and say, I want to get to know Jesus. And they'll be able to walk you through a very simple process of coming to put your faith in God that will change your life for eternity. You can also come and talk to one of us, our pastors. As pastors at the end, we'd be glad to share with you, answer questions. Maybe you're not quite ready to commit, but you're ready to start a journey of questions to see where that would lead you. God's heart is open to you, and there is no fear in the love of God. Amen. Would you guys stand with me, please? Those of you that are uh, joining us uh, online, um, you should be getting a second email. You already got an email on the church 
the third option being added. Uh, but you should be getting a second email ex uh, that gives you this, what was handed out in church, uh, for you to be able to download and print at home. Uh, and uh, bless you to uh, explore the Bible in a brand new way. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Lord, we are asking, Father, for, for victorious faith, Lord, that is, is not shocked when life gets difficult personally or in our nation or the globe, but we know that this is part of you working all things together for the good to bring many people to know you and to lead us, Lord, to you making everything right again. So, Father, we just trust you right now. I pray for anybody, Lord, who uh, just had fear uh, sort of activated in their heart, that they would work through that fear, Lord, to a place of realizing, in the end, it's, it's been all about you, Lord. You're our trust, you're our security, and uh, Lord, just lift our eyes up above whatever we may have started to put our trust in, Lord, and instead say, we trust you, Lord Jesus. And then help us, Father, when people around us, Lord, are feeling anxious or afraid or caught up, Lord, in the latest rumor, that we can actually use that as an invitation to connect them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, bless this church family. Bless our days ahead. In the name of Jesus, amen.